Our scripture reading today will be from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. This is the word of God. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him when whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. And thanks, Michael. Well, uh, I think it was sometime in high school, um, I was hanging out with some of my friends. And uh, we're talking about, uh, well, actually, I'll just say this. They started to talk about me while we were hanging out. And they started to tell a story about me. And that story was not true. So an argument began. And I'll tell you what was going on. We were talking about a basketball game from ninth grade. And, uh, and the story they told, as, as this topic came up, they said it was the end of a game, and that, um, and that any way that the, the, the final seconds are winding down, the other team's bringing it down the court, throws up a half-court shot, and I fouled the guy really hard, like knocked him down. To that point, we agree. 
where we disagree. They said the guy made the shot. And I said, absolutely not. Because I think I put him on the ground. Like it was like a linebacker who was blitzing. So anyway, so we have, you know, there's kind of typical high school argument going back and forth. It did not go in. It did not go in. It did go in. It did in. And everybody was kind of yelling and talking all that. Anyway, then one of the guys says, hey, guys, I think I can solve this. My dad taped every game that season. And I can go home. I can get the tape. And I can bring it here. We can watch it. And I was like, please, go get the tape. So anyway, he gets the tape, and, uh, and we put it on, and we're all anxiously watching it. We're going to see how, how this is going to go down. Because me, I have a strong opinion. This other guy has a strong opinion. Everybody else is kind of in the middle. Like, he remembers the ninth grade game. But anyway, the, but the two of us that had opinions, they were strong opinions. So anyway, we, we fast forward it to the end of the game, and it's the, it's the last play of the game. The other team, they, they dribble it down the court. He passes half court. That's when he's about to go for the shot. And then I'm, I'm like a linebacker on a blitz. I'm, I'm coming after him. And it's a pointless block. Like, the game was over. It was just kind of a throwaway shot. And I, boom, I hit him. The guy goes down. And again, at that point, we all agree. But the shot's in the air. And the shot goes in. I could not believe it. I mean, the way I remembered it completely was that the guy went on the ground. The game was over. But, you know, it was like a, a four-point play. So he, he did all that. And so to me, it was crazy. Like, side note, our memories are not as accurate as we think. Um, so me and Missy actually have a story that I could have told in this, but we would have to leave here straight to marriage counseling because we still <laughs> do not agree on what happened there. But, uh, but anyway, uh, I would have never believed uh, this, this guy that, 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 that they made the shot unless he had the tape. But after the tape was there, I mean, there was no argument. So it was one of those things where, like, I think he made the shot, then everybody tackled me, and it was just totally humiliating. But anyway, there was no argument. I was speechless. It was done. The argument was over. And so for me, this guy was saying all this stuff, and he was like, I remember, he, you know, you fouled him. He shot the free throws. We were yelling at you because it was pointless, and it was a big deal. And, uh, and I was just like, no way. He did it. No way. But once the tape was there, it's validated. And so this guy could say it over and over and over, but he needed something outside of just his words to validate what he was saying. And for his, for, you know, thankful for, for his case, he had something to validate. He had the tape. So the reason I bring this up, you have the apostles in the early church. They are making these crazy claims about who Jesus is. So why are they going to listen to these fishermen? You know, they're not even like the, the scholarly uh, people of the day, they're just kind of these young fishermen. Why are people going to listen to Peter and the rest of the apostles? And they needed something to validate them. And so one of the ways that God validated the message of the apostles was through signs, wonders, and miracles, like healing people. Um, and so anyway, but whenever you have this going on, whenever there's a, there's a miracle, there's more going on than, than just that miracle itself, that there's more going on than just the healing that we see here in, in Acts 3. So, so here's what I want to do this morning. I want, to, I want to spend some time considering three things about the miracle. First, I want to consider just the miracle itself. And then second, I want to consider the miracle explained. What, what was the meaning behind it? Uh, then third, uh, the miracle preached. What was the message behind it? So first, the miracle itself. So the, the same ways that for the, the, the tape validated my friend's claim, uh, so miracles were used to validate the claims of the apostles. And this is Peter's second sermon. 
His first sermon was at Pentecost in Acts 2. There was this miracle of they were speaking in tongues, that they were speaking in languages. Previously unknown to them, people from all these different nations and languages were hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own language. Uh, and then after that, uh, Peter preached a sermon, and the sermon was all about what Jesus had done and how they should respond. In Acts 3, Peter is going to have another, his second sermon, and there's another miracle that's going to precede it, and he's going to talk all about Jesus and how they should respond. And so what we see uh, here is this crippled man described in verse 2 that he was lame or he was crippled, and he was crippled from birth. He was never able to walk, and he had to be carried wherever he went. And so uh, he would have friends and family to, to take him to the temple because the people would go to the, to the temple at different times of the day to pray. And so this crippled man who had no way of making income would sit there and hope that God's people would be generous uh, and give him alms, give him money. Uh, and on this day, God healed him and God healed him through Peter. And God used Peter because he had a message that he wanted Peter to give and God wanted people to listen to Peter. So he validated the message with a miracle. God wanted people to know that there was power behind the name of Jesus and that in the name of Jesus, that significant things were taking place. So this crippled beggar, he asked Peter and John for alms. And then Peter said this in verse six, he said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And after he said this, the man rose up uh, and began walking. Then he entered the, the temple, uh, walking and leaping and praising God. And so while God is merciful and gracious, it seems that the reason that God chose to heal this man was in order to validate the message of Peter. So, so the, the goal here on this day was a message, and it wasn't so much the miracle the message was focused on Jesus, and the miracle supported the message. And the message was, was that there was power, healing, and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some healing ministries out there. You guys have probably seen it before, maybe seen it on TV, maybe you've been, been a part of some of these. Um, and they act as if healing is the main goal. Healing is central to their ministry. Uh, and the message about Jesus is secondary. They're mainly there to do healings and probably take a collection. Uh, th but the miracle for these folks is primary. Uh, th there's a, a pastor named Justin Peters. Uh, he has a cerebral palsy, and he was in a documentary called The uh, American Gospel. Uh, and in this, he would go see these faith healers. Uh, and at one point, he tried to get on stage, but they wouldn't let him on stage. Um, and look, I, I don't know these guys' hearts or what's going on, but uh, he thinks, and I think he's right to think this, they probably were not letting him on stage because he was legitimately crippled and could not walk. And they couldn't risk that, him coming up on stage, not being healed. Uh, then it would seem as if his mess, their, their, their whole ministry didn't have any credibility to it. So I, again, I don't know there's these people's hearts, but it seems from a distance like they are certainly frauds. And one way to tell if a ministry is not healthy is if something else has become primary over the message of Jesus. If, if the name of Jesus is in the shadow of, of something else, it, it could be a, a personality, a program, or the institution. But look, the, the, the point of the miracle in the text we have today was to support the message. 
And there's something even better than a crippled man being able to walk, and it's the promise of having your sins erased and having eternal life. And this is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, number two, the miracle explained. So, so the people see this miracle. They're filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to this man. He was crippled from birth. Uh, now he's healed. He's walking and leaping. Uh, and, and they have seen a miracle. And everyone knew it was a miracle because he was, he was crippled from birth. So it wasn't like this guy that came in. No one knew him before. He was, a, he was a known person. He wasn't an actor that was just faking it. He was a lifelong cripple. And this attracted a crowd. And Peter's response to the commotion uh, that, that, that started, the, 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 so this whole thing attracted a crowd, started a commotion. Everybody's looking at Peter uh, and John as if they're the ones doing it. And Peter begins to deflect away from himself onto Christ. And he says this in verse 12. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? So Peter wanted everyone to understand that this didn't just happen because he and John were great. And we see why it happened in verse 13, and it might not be what you expect. Look at verse 13 in chapter 3. So why did this happen? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. So the reason this miracle happened is because the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob chose to glorify Jesus. This man being healed was a secondary issue. It was a means to an end, and the primary goal was for God the Father to glorify God the Son. And, and, and this is one of those moments where Peter really gets it right. You know, like it, towards the end of the gospel, Peter's kind of, he's messing up, he's making mistakes, he, he denies Christ three times in one night. And in this moment, man, Peter's doing really well here. And, and, and what's interesting is he's succeeding in an area where Moses had failed. Let me explain why. So you guys know the story about Moses. He delivers God's people out of Egypt. Uh, but you know he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. So he, God uses them to bring people out of Egypt, but he's not able to go into the promised land. And the reason he wasn't able to was because Moses tried to rob God of his glory. So, so while traveling in the desert, Moses was taking the people uh, and they became thirsty. They didn't have any water. And so the people began to complain. They wanted water to drink. And so, uh, and so Moses, uh, God talks to Moses and God tells him, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to speak to this rock and, and, and water is going to come out for you. You're going to command water to come out from it and the water is going to pour out of this rock and the people will have water. Uh, and, and here's how that moment went down in Numbers Chapter 20, 10 through 12. You can turn there if you're quick on the draw. If not, don't worry about it. But Numbers 20, verse 10 through 12, we read this. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses said, shall we bring water out of this rock? God was about to do something great. And Moses said, look at what I'm about to do. He was attributing to himself 
something that God was doing. Moses failed here. This is why Moses didn't go into the promised land. But Peter, in a similar moment, he did not fail in this way. And so look, one takeaway for this is we all need to be careful. God has a way of bringing low even the the best and most humble of servants. But here, Peter is having a good day. He wants everyone to know, look, the power is not coming from me. Uh, the, The power is not with him or with John, but the power is in the name of Jesus Christ. The the miracle is pointing to Jesus, and Peter is ambitious to make sure that God gets all the glory for what's happening. The miracle is pointing to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, not Peter and not John. So the reason that this man is healed, the explanation for why this miracle happened was so that God the Father could glorify God the Son. The glory of God is always central to whatever it is that God is doing. You know, I I really like the Joseph narrative. Uh, I probably talk about the Joseph narrative, you know, the end of Genesis, Joseph and his brother settled in the slavery. Uh, You know, I'll probably talk about it too much. I'll probably find a way to include it in the sermon like once a month. But um, but it's encouraging to me, and and I'm sure it's encouraging to you. And you guys know the story. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, then he's falsely accused, he ends up in jail and forgotten, but eventually, through a series of events, becomes second in command in Egypt. And and the part that's so encouraging to me, and I'm sure it's encouraging to you, uh, is at the end when Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, we we usually zoom in on Joseph and and then apply that to ourselves, And, and we're not necessarily wrong to do that. Bad things happen to us, but we trust that God means it for good. That's not a wrong understanding of that. But the Bible is not primarily about Joseph, and the Bible is not primarily about us either. The Bible is primarily telling the story about how God the Father is going to glorify God the Son. So so let's zoom out of of the Joseph narrative and see what God is doing. One question to ask. Why did God put Joseph in Egypt anyway? You know, why did he have to end up in Egypt? And you might say, well, that was so Joseph could save his family in you know, Israel. There was a famine, and then his family, Israel, came to Egypt, and they survived the famine because Joseph was already there. And, and that would be correct, but I don't think that's the ultimate reason there. The reason that God put Joseph uh, through all of that mess was so that Israel would move to Egypt and become enslaved and mistreated by the Egyptians. That's what God was doing in this Joseph narrative. We're getting God's people to end up in Egypt to be mistreated and enslaved. And so that brings up the question, why? Well, in Exodus 7, God tells Moses that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let his people go. So God tells Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let, let, to let my people go. But know this, I'm hardening his heart so that he won't. I mean, that makes no sense if you're, if you're on the ground and close up. But then we read this in Exodus chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. God says this to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. 
The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God's plan in getting his people there was to bring them out and to show Egypt that he was the Lord. So the Egyptians were going to find out who the Lord was. And not only that, this whole experience would serve future generations of Israel. Listen to Exodus 10, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. That, we're about to get the reason why. Why Why did you harden Pharaoh's heart? That I may show these signs of mine among them. And that you may tell me, that, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them, that you may know I am the Lord. That is what God is up to. So the reason God put Joseph in Egypt was not to just promote Joseph. It was not just to make Joseph second in command. It was a piece in this really big puzzle for Israel, Egypt, and future generations to know that Yahweh is the Lord. It wasn't just a promotion for Joseph. That's not the goal there. It's the goal for people to know that Yahweh is the Lord. And the reason that this crippled man was healed was not just so he would have a better life. It was so that people would know the Lord and that his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And look, consider also uh, the disciples' question to Jesus in John 9. Uh, They see a man blind from birth and they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born born blind? And so they wrongly assume that his blindness is related to some kind of sin. And Jesus responds to the wrong assumption by saying this, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So all of that to say, we should have zero expectations that we can figure out what in the world God is doing. God knows what he's doing. We can assume our best uh, and, and whatever we, we, we come up with, whatever guesses we might have, they would be flawed uh, and, and off. But, but in the end, we can know that they will be good. Whatever God is doing will be good and they somehow somehow glorifies God. And if we could know what God was doing, not only would we agree with whatever hardship we might be going through, we would even praise him for it. Even if for now we suffer with a thorn in our flesh. So, so Peter explains the reason this miracle happened was because God the Father was glorifying God the Son. And then Peter preached the miracle. So my third point, the miracle preached uh, I think I mentioned a week or two ago that some people uh, distinguish teaching from preaching and teaching is more of explaining and preaching uh, is more when there's a, there's a call to action. So uh, according to this understanding, when you teach the Bible, you're explaining and when you're preaching, you're telling people to, to do stuff. Uh, and, and Peter sees a clear application to this miracle that has taken place. And here's the application. The people are to Repent. In verse 13 and 14, Peter tells them how they have sinned against Jesus. He loads them up with all these serious sins, this unbearable guilt. And then he references how in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And he tells them that he understands they acted in ignorance. You know, as Jesus prayed, they know not what they're doing. But then in uh, verse 19, Peter says this. So Acts chapter 3, verse 19. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out 
that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The message that Peter had for the people after witnessing this miracle was that they should repent. The, the, the idea when we read Acts chapter 3 and see this person healed, or when we read about the, the, the Joseph narrative, you know, the, the Bible's not about how these little problems go away. It's not like this message that, you know, this, this setback's just a setup for, for a comeback. It's not one of these trite phrases you can put on these tough things that happen. Peter had something better than that for them. There is a God. His name is Jesus. You have all sinned grievously against him. He is good. You can turn to him in repentance from your sins, and he will blot out your sins that time of refreshing may come. That's better than a crippled man being able to to walk. That's better than a blind man being able to see. And the call is to repent. And, and look, in, in my opinion and in my own ministry, I wonder if us Christians who love the gospel of grace, I wonder if we've not appropriately emphasized the call to repentance. We, we are good at emphasizing faith and faith alone. It's not by works. But I'm concerned we can become so emphatic about being saved by grace, that we become hesitant to emphasize repentance lest it be confused with works. But the Bible just calls us to repent. And, and however, the, the distinction between genuine faith and, and, and dead faith might be, be, be considered, the, the way that you distinguish between genuine faith and dead faith is repentance. Was there repentance? Is there repentance? If there is no repentance, then there is no genuine faith. As James said, even the demons believe. So in closing, this passage teaches us at least two things. One, the, the, the big picture, the big thing going on from all of history is God the Father will glorify God the Son. And two, for all those who repent and turn to Jesus, this is incredibly good news because he is glorified in our sins being blotted out and by sending times of refreshing. So may God help us to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and may we put our hope in no other name but in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son into the world, and thank you for the apostles' teaching. For, forgive us for um, how we uh, lack repentance uh, how we find other types of application that has us at the center of the universe. Um, forgive us for how we seek to glorify ourselves, for how we daydream about how we might rob you of glory. Would you forgive us for that? Would you help us to live lives of repentance? Would you help us to know sweet fellowship and communion with your son? Uh, and would you help us to know these times of refreshing that come with repentance? And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.